0: Welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with John Eldridge. Here in a multi-part series on prayer, powerful prayer, effective prayer, maturing prayer, maturing in our understanding of how prayer works and why it works and how does God use prayer in the world and what's our role in the kingdom of God now. And I'm reading excerpts from my book moving mountains, praying with passion, confidence, and authority. And this week, we are in chapter 5, which is entitled Bold Authority. And I begin with some thoughts on the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever wondered why the Lord's Prayer begins with us praying, Your kingdom come? The man who knew best how to pray is telling us to invoke his kingdom. We are, after all, partners in this mission. And this is what he wants us to begin prayer with. The obvious implication is that his kingdom is not always come. His will is not always done on earth as it is done in heaven. Or what a ridiculous thing to tell us to pray. Why would Jesus urge us to pray for something that has no meaning? He does not tell us to pray that the sun rises tomorrow. We are never urged to pray that the sun will rise again each day. God's will is going to be done every sunrise. You can rest on that one. Nothing to pray about there. But you are told to invoke his kingdom from heaven to earth. Maybe he's referring to his second coming, you know, the return of Christ and his kingdom then. I think this is actually the vague idea in most people's minds when they pray the Lord's prayer. But the next line goes, give us this day our daily bread. Today. The prayer is talking about today. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from temptation, our current needs. They will not be needs when we are in heaven. The famous prayer is focused on this moment and our immediate needs. Apparently, our greatest need is for his kingdom to invade our lives and our worlds. Isn't it? Remember now, God is growing us up. In the midst of war, prayer is partnership with God. We are allies with him in the invasion of his kingdom. It makes perfect sense for Jesus to teach us to invoke his kingdom in our prayers. It makes all the sense in the world and opens up staggering opportunities for prayer. Because one of the most crippling convictions held by believers today is the idea that everything that happens is the will of God. It is a poisonous belief that will destroy your confidence in God you will end up believing terrible things about him. The news report about a pack of teenage boys who repeatedly raped a little girl with Down syndrome, that is the will of God? Listen very carefully. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that God never causes anyone to sin. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. From James chapter 1. God does not tempt, nor does he cause you to sin. But people sin every day, and their sins have devastating consequences. So, there are all kinds of events happening every day that are not caused by God. Remember, we live in a world where God has granted to human beings and to angels the dignity of causation, the dignity of making things happen. You get to make things happen, just as God does. God did not cause Adam and Eve to sin, nor did He prevent them from doing so. And their sin, had staggering consequences. I simply want to point out that the defining question in any of those sovereignty of God debates is, do people make meaningful choices? Yes or no? If you say yes, then not everything that happens is the will of God. If you say no, then God is the ultimate micromanager, and we are all figures in his video game. He caused those boys to rape that precious little girl, He caused Isis to execute those children. They were carrying out the will of God. Do you see how important this is? Do people make meaningful choices? Indeed, they do. The scriptures are full of provocations to choose, like when Joshua said to the people of Israel, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. From Joshua 24. What a ridiculous thing to put before them if people don't really choose. All other commands are utter nonsense as well. So much turns on this Do people make meaningful choices? And the next question you want to ask is How meaningful? Nicholas Wolterstorff wrote a beautiful and heartbreaking book when he lost his 21-year-old son in a mountaineering accident. Lament for a son is the recorded struggle of a father wrestling with questions like, why doesn't God intervene? And what kind of world do we have here? Speaking of his son and his mountaineering, Wolterstorff said, why did he climb at all? What was it about the mountains that drew him? I suspect that only those who themselves climb can really know. He was lured by the exhilaration of meeting head-on the intellectual and physical challenge of climbing, beauty pure from the hand of God, untouched by human hand. And deepest, perhaps, climbing was for him a spiritual experience. To us, soft, small, fragile, unsure-footed creatures scrambling over them The mountains are menacingly indifferent. How insipid would it be if every misstep, every slip of the hand, meant no more than a five-foot drop into an alpine meadow. The menace is essential to the exhilaration of achievement. How insipid it would be if God turned every misstep of our lives into a soft landing on marshmallows. And clearly he does not. So we are back to the idea of growing up. When our boys were young, we did choose what color socks they wore. When they were very, very young, we even dictated what they put in their mouth. But as they grew older, things changed. They were given more responsibility. One day, we handed them the keys to the car. We handed over to them the potential to kill someone, to kill themselves. Maturity sets the stage for more and more meaningful choices. As William James said, our present life feels like a real fight, as if there were something really wild in the universe which we are needed to redeem. Sharing his authority, which brings us around to praying in Jesus' name. We were talking about the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness and the authority given to Jesus Christ. We were following the actions of Jesus in the world today, reigning until he has finished vanquishing evil. The Lord of angel armies and all his forces, angelic and human, are now in the throes of bringing his enemies under his feet, beach by beach, tunnel by tunnel. I believe part of the reason God has left it to be done in this way is because he is growing us up. We too must learn to rule and reign. In First Kings 18, God intended to end the drought, but Elijah had a major role. It was up to his prayers to call down the deluge. As C.S. Lewis said, he seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. The delegation not only of major tasks, but also of the authority to get them done. Having cast down the usurped ruler of this world, all authority was given to Jesus. And then, trumpets ought to ring out and banners unfurled. He, in turn, gives his majestic authority to us. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Luke 10. Paul was so excited about this, he prayed earnestly that God would give each of us a personal revelation in our heart of hearts on how magnificent it is. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. From Ephesians 1 God placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be head of everything for who? For the church for you and me and then to make it perfectly clear our father seats us with christ right there in authority at his right hand but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and god raised us up with christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. from Ephesians 2. Talk about lavish and scandalous. You have been given a share in the authority of Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Lord of the heavens and the earth. Do you wield it in prayer? Can you see that it just might make a difference if you did? Maybe we should pray like Paul and ask for a personal revelation on the truth of this. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask you to open the eyes of my heart and grant to me a personal revelation on the truth of the authority given to Jesus and how I really do share in that authority. Break this through to me. Oh, friends... We are so far from the pathetic cries of the orphan and slave. We are God's sons and daughters, his friends and allies, now princes and princesses in his kingdom, wielding his authority. And we get to play a dramatic role in the story. When Ananias carried out his orders and restored Saul's sight, he felt free to employ Jesus's name. He acted in the name of the king. So did Peter and John. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God from Acts 3. Like the centurion, these guys understood authority. And look what happened when they began to exercise it. They didn't call a prayer meeting and ask God to heal the man. They did it in his name. They acted like sons of the king, which adds a whole new dimension to your understanding just who you are when you pray. You are not the orphan child, sitting out in the hall, hoping your busy father will see one of the notes you have pushed under his door. You are not a homeless beggar, standing on the corner, hoping God will pass by and hand you a couple of bucks. You are not a refugee, standing in line at the embassy, hoping the ambassador will hear your request. Not even a faithful servant, humbly trying to do your best. You are a son or daughter, of the living God, a friend and ally, wielding his authority to get things done. And by the way, your eternal destiny is to reign. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. From Daniel 7. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25 With your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5. You will reign, dear ones, over glorious kingdoms and realms within the great and glorious kingdom of our father, a role we certainly need some preparation for. In another favorite Narnia story, The Horse and His Boy, the lost prince of Arkenland is returned to his father, an orphan boy returned to his rightful role, just as we are, but he has some learning to do, some catching up to do before he can assume full responsibility. Shasta, now proclaimed prince, laments to his two horse companions, It's far worse for me than for you. I'm going to be educated. I shall be learning reading and writing and heraldry and dancing and history and music while you'll be galloping and rolling on the hills of Narnia. A prince, totally unaccustomed to the ways of the kingdom, cannot be entrusted with the throne until he has had some preparation, just as we need educating. We really thought this life was simply about getting a nice little situation going for ourselves and living out the length of our days in happiness. I'm sorry to take that from you, but you and I shall soon be inheriting kingdoms, and we are almost illiterate when it comes to ruling. So, God must prepare us to reign. How does he do this? In exactly the same way he grows us up. He puts us in situations that require us to pray and to learn how to use the authority that has been given to us. How else could it possibly happen? Now we are ready for the prayer of intervention. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast, reading from my new book, Moving Mountains, and I love the story of the horse and his boy, and I love it how the orphan gets to come home. Yes, he's restored to his father. Yes, it's a story of love. But it's a lot more than that. It's a story of training. It's a story of discipline. It's a story of of hardship. And it's a story of rising up. It's a story, frankly, that's pretty realistic for a fairy tale. It's a story of a whole lot like ours. And God is growing us up, as we've been talking about. And what he's growing us up into is to learn to operate in his authority. Now we are ready for the prayer of intervention, which takes us into chapter six in our next episode. And my new book, Moving Mountains, which is out and available. And we're hearing fantastic things from people already. I mean, just beautiful stories already on breakthrough in prayer and breakthrough with God and really, really great things he's doing. So if you haven't picked up your copy, please do. And You can catch up with us and read along with us.